0: Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. break from it last week because it was Pentecost Sunday and I hope you've been operating in your power, the the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope it's been operating in your life, that you've been fellowshipping, that you've been praying, that you've been praising, that you've been uh, taking the uh, the Lord's Supper together. We did that last Sunday, but you can, you can do that during your normal week. And then also that we don't forget that the result of the power of the Holy Spirit is that lives are changed and that souls are won. But we want to go back into this series called Enemies. We're going to wrap it up today. Uh, and over the course of this series, I've been trying to make you aware that we have enemies. I wished I could stand up in here, in here and tell you that everybody loved you and that everybody was out for your good and that everything was was to benefit you. But the reality is, is that we have enemies. It's just the fact of life and there's no way to avoid that truth. And so I've tried to share with you some truths and some thoughts that would... I, equip you if you will to be able to spot your enemies because there are ways to to find out who your enemy is and if you haven't uh if you weren't here during that and you say well how do i know who my enemy is well go back and listen because i tried to to reveal to you who the wolves are in your lives who are the people designated and assigned by our our ultimate enemy the 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 devil to destroy us and, and gave you some characteristics of those wolves so that they could that you could spot them i've tried to teach you that you cannot be Become tolerant of your enemies. There is no way to get comfortable with your enemy. You cannot come to this place in your life where you say, I'm okay with this person or this thing and I'll just let them continue to exist in my life. No, we're called to destroy what will ultimately destroy us if we don't destroy them. That's a mouthful. But that's what God has called us to do. I've also tried to help you to change your perspective a little bit and understand that you actually need an enemy. I didn't get no amens out of that one, and that's all right, but it's still the truth. You need an enemy because your enemy causes you to rely on God more. It deepens your praise. It reveals your purpose, and it reveals your strength. And so you actually need an enemy in your life to make you better than you are. And so that's where we've been. And so this morning, what I want to do is I kind of want to wrap this whole series up with a challenge to you. I, I want to confront safe living and an apathetic existence that most of us have. I want to challenge you. I want to issue you and a challenge this morning that you need to earn your enemy. That's a different perspective, isn't it? I want you to earn, to do something to actually earn an enemy. So if you will, I want you to join me in a very familiar passage of Scripture in Judges. In Judges chapter 6, verse 24, beginning in verse 24, we find this account about a young man by the name of Gideon. You know this story, I know you do, but let's read it again and learn some things this morning. Two things I want to challenge you with this morning. Judges chapter 6, verse 24 says, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. And I just want to stop there long enough. To say this, I was reading this passage of Scripture again last night, and the Lord spoke to me, and, and I believe very clearly, and said, why do we wait till we get to church to build an altar? If you go back and read over the landscape of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, people in their daily lives were building altars everywhere. They didn't wait until Sunday. They didn't wait till they got to church there. I need to get to the altar. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They were consistently involved in building altars. We need to come back to the place where we build altars in our lives. That's where Gideon was. He built an altar to the Lord and called it the Lord's peace. And to this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abrazites and That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they ask each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And the men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then in chapter 7, verse 9, the Bible says it's been a couple of days, and it says that night God told Gideon, Get up and go down to the camp. I have given it to you. If, and you're going to have to excuse me here because I know what weekend it is, so I'm going to emphasize a word here in honor of our military, especially our Marines. If, you're, if you ever served in the Marines, I know Chad's here and he served in the Marines, so this is for him. He says, if you have any doubts about going down, go down with your pure You know, they always do. uh, Your armor bearer, bearer, and when you hear what they're saying, you'll be bold and confident. And he and his armor bearer, Pura, went down near the place where sentries were posted, Midian and Amalek, and all the Easterners were spread out on the plain like a swarm of locusts and their camels, past counting like grains of sand on the seashore. And Gideon arrived just in time to hear a man tell his friend a dream and he said I had this dream a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the Midianite camp and it came to the tent and it hit it so hard it collapsed the tent fell and his friend said this has to be the sword of Gideon son of Joash the Israelite God has turned Midian the whole camp over to him I want to challenge you this morning About your enemies. How many of you recognize now that you have an enemy? Anybody? Okay, a few of you understand that there are Midians Or Midians enemies in your life. That are coming against you. That are assigned to destroy you. And so I want to challenge you in two ways. The first thing that I want to say to you is is I want to challenge you to get rid of uh, safe living. Because what I believe that God is saying to us is that we should live our lives in such a way that we make our enemies Murder mad. Murder mad. Gideon, if Gideon had done nothing, if, if he had just minded his own business and done what he had always done, which was nothing, If he had just gone through the motions, lived his life like he had always lived it, then no one would have opposed him and no one would have wanted to kill him and the Israelites would have stayed in bondage if he had just played it safe. But because the the power of God spoke to him and, and exposed his apathetic way of living and his safe level of living and challenged him to take a stand at that moment when he got up and did something about the bondage in his life and the bondage to his people at that moment, his enemies wanted to kill him. And so... This morning, what I want to ask you is, when was the last time someone tried to kill you? When is the last time that something tried to take you out? I want to make a very bold and blunt statement to you this morning that I believe is accurate and I believe it is true. I am convinced of, of this. And that is this. If you don't have someone or something trying to kill you emotionally, spiritually, relationally, then you are not fully following Christ wholeheartedly. See, nobody opposed the disciples until they earned their enemies. Nobody tried to stop their travels. No one tried to uh, intimidate them. No one threw them in jail. No one tried to crucify them. No one tried to beat them. No one tried to boil them. No one tried to exile them until they started doing something for God. It's interesting to me that nobody bothered them as long as they were fishing for fish. But at the moment that they began to fish for men, the enemy rose up and tried to destroy them. They earned their enemy. See, one man correctly said this. He said, the best people in almost any field are almost always the people who get the most criticism. He goes on to say this. He says, focus on impact, not approval. I want to read that statement again. He said, you have to live your life like this. He says, focus on impact, not approval. And then he makes this statement. He says, if you believe you can change the world, which I hope you do, do what you believe is right and expect resistance and expect attackers. In other words, what he's saying is do something. Risk something. We fail to be resisted because we fail to believe that we can actually change the world. How many of you have attended youth camps and and retreats most of your life and you've heard speaker after speaker, maybe even your graduation speaker in high school and your graduation speaker in college. They've all stood up at some point in your life and they've made this statement, you can change the world and we nod our heads and we don't believe it. And so we fail to be resisted because we don't believe we can actually change the world see your level of opposition reveals your level of risk that was good by the way that's the truth your level of opposition reveals your level of risk and I am extremely concerned that many of you sitting under the sound of my voice have no enemies Everybody likes you, everybody wants to be your friend, everybody accepts you, you never rub anybody the wrong way, you never rock the boat, you never stir the pot, you never upset the apple cart, you just never make any waves, and Jesus made it extremely and abundantly clear that at the moment that you begin to follow him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, that people would hate your guts. And we go through life unhated and unopposed and everybody invites us to their parties and everybody invites us to their games and everybody invites us to hang out with them and they're not bothered one bit because we don't try to change the world. See, I told you earlier in this series that Jesus made a statement in Matthew that he was sending us into the midst of wolves. That is a promise that involves an element of danger. We read right over it. We we, we gloss it over. We think it's some danger ethereal concept out there that doesn't really have any impact or bearing on us but I want you to understand that what Jesus is literally saying is that he's going to take the sheep and you are one if you believe in Christ you are a sheep he is going to take you and he's going to literally throw you into a wolf cage and that is the life that he's called us to We are built for risk and danger. It is part of our DNA. If you have Jesus in your heart and you have said, I'm going to follow anywhere he takes me. I'll go if you want me to go. I'll, I'll say anything you want me to say. I'll risk it all. Anybody ever prayed that? I prayed that as a teenager and I continue to pray. If you really mean that with everything that's in you, that involves risk. We're built for danger. And I think that what happens is our life becomes mundane when we lose that element of danger. Most of us have stopped taking risks and we started playing it safe and then we wonder why we're bored. That's why people go out and spin themselves into debt. That's why people go out and chase all these different activities and events and all these things. They're trying to fill a void in their life that is created by the lack of danger and the lack of an experience. Why are there adrenaline junkies? They want danger. I am telling you that in spiritually speaking, we are called to live a life of risk and danger. And without it, we become bored so we try to fill our lives with all this other stuff. Jesus made it very clear we are called to create waves. In other words, at work, there ought to be people there that don't like you very much because you confront them and you rub them the wrong way. Well, Steve, you don't understand. The Bible says that we should be at peace with all men. I understand that. But I also understand that they hated Jesus, and if they hated Jesus, they better hate you. Because if there's enough of Jesus in you that they can see him, it ought to bother them. The only alternative is for you to keep all of the Jesus that is in you hidden so well that nobody even knows he's in there, and then they like you better. I'm preaching good right now, and y'all just looking at me like I'm crazy. See, I just want to make this statement. Do you like it or lump it? You don't have to believe it, but I'm going to tell you it's the truth. If you have no enemies, you have no life. I knew that one would go over well. If there's not some opposition in your life, then you don't really have a life. You have an existence. See, my dad taught me a spiritual truth when I was young. I've shared it with you before, but I'm going to share it again. I've never forgotten it. I'll, I'll remember it as long as I live, and I will teach it, and I am trying to teach it to my own sons now, and that is this. He told me that dogs don't bark at parked cars. Thanks, Dad. Life lesson. I've discovered what he means. I've never seen a dog run up to a parked vehicle and begin to bark at it. But at the moment that that car begins to move, all of a sudden something happens in a dog and he'll begin to chase it down the road and bark at it because there's movement. And I understood that until I begin to do something for Christ, the devil will leave me alone. See, some of you see people battling all kinds of things. You see them battling pain and brokenness and hurt and heartache and God help us what we say in our own mind we would never tell anybody that we think this way but we go man I must be blessed because I ain't dealing with none of that stuff I must be highly favored of God I'm so blessed God is protecting me and that could be the case or What could really be the case is you're just boring. Maybe the enemy has discovered that the best and most effective weapon to use against you is just to leave you alone. Because if he brought sickness into your life, it would drive you to your knees and he doesn't want you praying. He understood that if you begin to have family issues, it would cause you to go back to reading your word like you did when you were 16 years old. And so he says, you know what, if I just let them have the perfect marriage and the perfect children and the perfect household, then they won't read the word like they used to. If I just don't mess with them, if I don't let pain enter their life, they won't feel the mandate and the obligation to tell anybody about Jesus because they'll just be satisfied. So if I just leave them alone, so boring, the devil doesn't even need to bother with you. I'm calling you back to living a life of risk, to take a chance, to rub somebody the wrong way, to boldly go where everybody else is afraid to go, to boldly read your word and declare it to the people you work with, to boldly spend time in prayer, and to pray for people that need. Do something to make the devil murder mad. To where He puts out a hit on you. Some of you haven't been on the devil's hit list in decades. Because you're not bothering. So my question to you this morning is what are you doing right now that scares the devil? Come on now. What are you doing right now that causes the enemy to shake in his boots? What ministry are you involved in? What what outreach are you involved in? What call are you fulfilling? That is causing the enemy to sit up at night and be nervous. Because see, when I read about Jesus, the Bible says that everywhere Jesus went, in minding his own business and he everywhere he went, demons would cry out. Scared to death of him. And we go all over the place and nobody even knows Jesus is in us. What are you doing that makes our enemy scared? You know what? For some of you, the answer is nothing. It's quiet in here this morning. I understand. I am calling you back to a life where you earn. Your enemy. If you haven't uh, sensed an attack of the devil on your life and on your family and on your business and on your relationships and on your emotional life and on your spiritual life in so long, then maybe, just maybe, he's no longer scared of you. The second thing that I want to challenge you this morning is I want us to come back to the place where we cause our enemy to talk. The Bible says that Gideon was instructed to sneak into the camp of his enemies and to listen to their discussion. And the Bible describes how what he did is he crawled into a position and he began to eavesdrop long enough to realize that as he began to hear them talk, he began to realize that his enemies were scared of him. He heard them talk so my question this morning is this to you if you could sneak up on your enemies what would your enemies be saying about you what would they be saying about you Gideon's enemies were saying he's coming to destroy us. I don't know why all of a sudden he'd never won a battle he had never been in a fight but all of a sudden somehow word got out that he was anointed of God and so his enemies begin to talk about him and begin to discuss and they understood that if Gideon shows up we're going to be defeated. When is the last time that your enemy began to talk about you and say if so and so shows up we're in trouble. If so and so goes to the hospital and prays for this person they're going to be healed. If so and so begins The counsel that, that marriage that's about to fall apart something's going to be restored and they begin to talk about you when's the last time and then I recognized an interesting tidbit from this encounter is that I want you to notice that when Gideon snuck into the enemy's camp he discovered that they were not only talking about him they were also talking about His God. We need to do something in our life and with our life that causes our enemies to talk about our God. See, they're going to talk about you regardless, by the way. Just want to let you in a little secret there. I, I know you think everybody's speaking blessings over you 24 hours a day. I know you think that people are in their homes right now saying, Oh God, please bless so and so and, and make them highly favored and let income rush into their lives and let their marriage be. Can I just give you a clue? There are people out there that are talking about you. Not good. They're speaking all manner of evil against you. And that's okay because the Bible declares that every voice is there that rises up in an accusation will be destroyed. So we don't have to worry about what they're saying about us. But my question and my challenge is, is what are we doing with our life that causes them to go beyond just talking about us to begin talking about our God? I want to challenge you this morning. We have got to come back to the place where we put the fear of our God into our enemies. We have a decision to make this morning. You're a part of that decision-making process. We don't vote around here. If y'all didn't know that, we don't vote. We just follow and do what God says to do. And I kind of like it like that. But even if we don't vote, you vote. Because we have a decision to make as a body. Because, see, I am convinced, I've been talking to some of my leaders here or there, and I think we're all in agreement that we believe that we are at a very important moment in the life of this church. Because the decision that we have to make is we have to make up our minds how we're going to be as a body. We can try to be unopposed. That's the safe way to play it, by the way. We can try to be unnoticed. We can try to avoid missteps. We can try to avoid casualties. We can try, we can try with everything in, in us to avoid pain. We can try to avoid risk. We can uh, try to avoid all of those things. And by the way, you can do church that way. Are you all here this morning? I just want you to know you can do church that way. You can stay us four and no more. Don't put anybody else in here. Let's just get along to get along. Let's just make sure the lights are on. Let's make sure the AC's cool enough for the, the, the 200 of us. And don't bring anybody else in because you'll bust our little click. And, and we, we can go unopposed now till Jesus comes back. Or we can take chances and we can step out in faith and we can walk towards our promise when it makes more sense just to coast. Can I tell you that y'all don't some of y'all don't understand this but most of the people that I have dealings with that have been in the ministry not all but most would try to convince me to coast now. Cuz the bills are being paid. And we've been successful by their standards. And so we have this choice. We don't take any chances. We don't step out in faith. We don't walk towards our promise. We just coast. Or we can attempt to make the community around us better. And we can attempt to grow God's kingdom. But I want to warn you. If that's where we're we're willing to go, and if that is what we want to do, and I believe it is, then you need to understand that if we're going to do that, we're going to have enemies. In other words, what I'm saying to you, Passion Church, is this. If we are going to accomplish what God is calling us to accomplish, you are going to become the bullseye for somebody's target. And people are going to ridicule you for being a part of this body. People are going to attack you for being a part of this body. And they're going to say, why do you want to be a part of them? Why don't you just come over here where it's safe and easy? Haters will show up. Attacks will be common. And there will be a price to pay. And let me just give you upfront knowledge of what the price will be. The price is that in order for us to do what God is calling us to do, we will have to be more disciplined than we've ever been. We don't like that word. We will have to be more diligent than we've ever been. I have called our leadership team back to prayer. Not that they weren't praying, but I just told them that I just discovered in my own life that the enemy's not playing games anymore that we stirred up the hornet's nest and that he's on attack and he will do whatever, whenever, however he can to bring death and destruction to my family and to my church and to my friends and to my people. And we can't play anymore. And so we have to be more diligent in prayer than we've ever been. That means more than four people have to show up for prayer on Monday nights. I'm preaching real good. I understand that it's baseball season. I got two kids of my own that play a lot of baseball. And I have an obligation as the spiritual head of my home to be with my children. And I will be there first. But I will also, I also have an obligation that you have. I can't pray for you all the time. And you consider that enough. Tina does not have the mandate to carry the entire prayer mantle of this church. We all have to pray. Maybe you can't get to the building. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But at some point in your day, you have got to hit your knees and call out for your brothers and your sisters and go to war for them. Because the enemy's through playing. And we got to wake up. And understand that in this Holy Ghost-filled house where we've got powerful praise and worship and you get your goosebumps every Sunday, there are marriages falling apart. There are people under attack by addictions. There are children that are being pulled away. you got to realize that it's not safe in here. And I'm all right with that because I don't want to go to church where it's safe. y'all know what a a safe church looks like? Like a funeral home. We put on our best clothes. We walk in. We sit there solemn. We do our duty. When the last amen is said, we get up and we walk out and we're unchanged. We're unscathed. We haven't been challenged. We haven't been changed one bit. There's no life change in us. And we walk out and go about our daily business and go, I made it through another week. No. You ought to be getting enough of God's presence in here that the devil ought to be mad. go after you with everything you've got that's got corporate implications for us that we I, I want to tell you we are not going to play it safe here that's why we go to the apartment complexes it's not because we don't have anything else to do on Wednesday night it's not safe in some of those apartment complexes there are people there that don't act like us, look like us won't understand when they walk in this building but we have a mandate to go after them It'd be easier to go after church folks, by the way, because they already know the language. They already know when they're supposed to stand up. They already know when they're supposed to worship. They won't use language that we find offensive. They won't smell when they walk in here. It would be safer for us just go rob sheep from somebody else. That's the safe way. Or we go get the people that don't know Christ, and we bring them in, and we love on them. And we listen to their language, and we smell their smell. And we love them anyway. I'm going to tell you, every church that I've ever seen do that is a dangerous church to be in. Because the enemy will begin to attack. That that has implications for you personally. You have to make up your mind this morning. What kind of life do you want to live? I'm tired of being boring. Anybody else in here tired of being boring? Then do something. Get involved. Reach out. Take a risk. Get your minds off of new homes and new cars and new boats. See, because what the enemy does is one of his best tactics is he distracts us. And we put all of our energy that should be put towards people. And we become wrapped up in things. Steve, are you saying I shouldn't get a new home? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying your new home shouldn't get you. me this morning. If the enemy is attacking my family, and he is, now don't worry, Julie's fine. She's with her mom and dad, and the boys are on a little vacation to Branson, so don't get worried and start rumors. I'm making it plain. I can see Facebook right now. enemies after my kids not on my watch so this is what i've tried to speak to my leaders is that the man the bible is so clear if we just read it the bible says that if the shepherd is struck the sheep are scattered it's not just talking about me. I told him, he's talking about every leader represented here because he knows if he can attack the leaders, then the people that follow those leaders become distracted. So this is what I know. If the devil is after my kids, ha! <laughs> it's not hard for me to figure out that he's after you too. We've been blessed around here. <laughs> I talk to, and I'm almost done, I talk to preachers all the time. It's one of the hazards of this job I'm playing. I talk to preachers all the time. And the first question they always ask me after we, they say, what are you doing? I say, I planted a church three almost three years ago. They always ask, how's it going? Because what they're expecting are horror stories. Because before I planted, I ask, what's it like? Everybody told me that it was miserable. No joke. Every church planter I've ever talked to talks about how hard it is. How devastating it is! How they almost lost their family. How they struggled financially. How it killed them physically. One of a, a good friend of mine planted a church uh, 18, 15, 18 years ago. Right now is having physical issues and problems because of the stress of doing what he did. And I have to look at every one of them and say, and this is my common statement. Ask my leaders that are around me when I talk to them. And I know Woody's heard me say this. I have. No horror stories. And now after reading God's word about enemies, I'm scared. Because maybe that means I'm boring. And I don't want us to be boring as a church. And I want those apartment complexes to be rocked by the power and the presence of God. And that will not happen if we play it safe and stay inside here. I'm done. Father, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. I pray that we would do something, that we would take a risk. Corporately and individually. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that is accepted everywhere they go that no one does, it, it dislikes them at all. I pray that you would challenge us this morning to live a life that would cause our enemy to be scared and cause our enemy not, to talk not only about us but about you. I pray that we wouldn't live so safe and so apathetic that Jesus, the Jesus that is in us is so well hidden that I can go into any environment, into any setting, any situation, and nobody even know that Jesus just walked into the room. So, Father, this morning I'm praying that you would allow my people to earn some enemies at work in their daily life I pray that these folks under the sound of my voice would live so dangerously and so risky for you that the enemy would sit up at night and send out reinforcements and think in his own mind I don't do something they're going to wreck me if I don't do something they're going to take territory for the wrong kingdom I've got to destroy them and Father I pray that when those attacks begin that as a body we would rally around one another and you would call us to be disciplined and diligent in prayer for one another and we would shield one another and protect one another and fight for one another and hold on for one another and get a heartfelt Love for one another so that when one person, we see them under attack, we rally around them so that they can keep risking everything for you. If you're here and you'd say, Steve, I'm with you. I'm tired of living, bored. I'm tired of not having any enemies. I'm tired of having not, I haven't earned my enemies. I am willing to risk. I am willing to try something. I am willing to to live my life in such a manner that the enemy is going to have to set up and take notice of me and my God. You got to know what you're saying. I need you. I need to inform you right now. If you're going to say that, that means you're going to get attacked. But if you're willing. And that's how you really feel. Would you just stand right where you are as an indication? That's how I want to live my life. I don't want to play it safe. I want to take a risk, I want to take a chance. Father, you see this army. I pray that even now you would begin to speak to us. What can we do individually and corporately? What can we do to destroy the enemy? What are you calling us to do? How are you calling us to live? What are you calling us to say? How are you calling us to live our life? Speak to us clearly right now. can we volunteer what could what could we get involved in that would make our enemy murder mad you see this army standing here today I pray that in Jesus name that you would protect them but not because they're boring. I pray that you would have to assign new angels to them because the enemy is going to go after them so hard because they've become a threat. I pray that you would cause them to be so dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. We understand it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. So I pray a special anointing on every person standing. God, that anointing would flow over them and they would sense your power and more authority and more anointing than they've ever felt in their life because they're with willing to take a chance they're willing to risk it all to expand your kingdom and to follow you I thank you for giving us these kind of folks God I'm comfortable going into battle with them because I know they're willing to lay their life down And so I pray that you join our hearts together and let us fight for what is ours. In Jesus' name, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, can I tell you that you're unarmed and that you're exposed and the enemy has free reign. And you've got a target on you and he will still kill and destroy from your life. But there's good news this morning. And that is this, that Jesus wants to enter your heart. And in so doing, he arms you and equips you and joins you to a body that will fight for you and with you. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning and you would like to get to know him, it's very simple. You just ask him. To come into your heart you believe that he died on a cross and was raised on the third day and you begin to live your life for him if that's you and you would like to know him we promise we won't embarrass you we just want to pray with you and for you if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal savior would you just lift up your hand and pull it right back down so that we can pray with you this morning we've been praying for you for months and this is your opportunity this morning father you see every heart here You see every life represented here. Challenge us this morning. Expose our safe living. Challenge us to answer this question. What am I doing right now that makes the enemy of my soul nervous? And if the answer is nothing, then I pray that you would challenge us to make the changes necessary to make him quake in his boots.